Today is going to be a great episode of Let Me Be Frank. Bishop Caggiano talks about the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And importantly, he talks about how we can practice the opposing virtues to become more aligned to the heart of Jesus. Keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep listening on the Veritas mobile app on your phone. If you don't yet have the app, go right now and get it from the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, you got an interesting topic. We're going to talk about sin. You think of that? <laughs> uh, this is going to be a doozy. You know, I, I, I'm glad because we've discussed the virtues, we discussed the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all these, you know, quote, nice things or good mm-hmm. things. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, Yes, it's uh, dun dun dun. The seven deadly sins. <laughs> yes, but we are also going to talk about the seven capital virtues that are the antidote for the seven deadly sins. Because we can't. I mean, we, we want to get to heaven. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Right. So, so what do you want to know about them? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so I guess my first question is, uh, do they have an order? You know, in other words, are any of the sins more deadly than the others or more oh, yeah. foundational? Right. right. Well, I mean, we have to remember their origin. There have been, even in pagan societies, there has been this, uh, for lack of a better word, reflection on that which is dehumanizing you know, in the Platonic tradition, they speak of evil, like evil thoughts or things that do not, that did not allow the human person to flower. So even outside of Christianity, there's always been this sense, right? When you look at the seven capital sins or the deadly sins as has come through in the in Christian tradition because of the revelation of the incarnation, it's interesting to see that there is, in some sense, an order to them because they affect the human person either bodily, mentally, or spiritually. So when we we say the human person is body, mind, soul, spirit, that's really what we're talking about. So the father of evil has covered all his bases, right? (laughs) Right. And, And to the extent that you think, well, I am doing great in my spiritual life, that may be true, but the temptations, for example, of the body, you can't let your guard down because when you do, 
then the, the quote-unquote progress you've made in one area will start to dissipate. It's a holistic approach. But to answer your question, when we go through the seven of them, I think pride is the fundamental capital sin because it denies God's place. It lives in a lie. And it asserts the human person in a way that creates a disorder that leads to all the other disorders. So if you want to consider, you know, all this conversation we've had in now these two plus years about people, society being self-absorbed and self-centered and selfish and all the rest, in effect, what we're really saying is that pride has infiltrated a lot of aspects of modern secular life. And therefore, we should not be surprised when there is also then greed and wrath or envy and lust and laziness and all the rest of you see, right, yeah. in some forms of manifestation. Right? So I think pride is the fundamental sin. Mm -hmm. That's the sin of Lucifer too, isn't it, Excellency? And Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah, right. And Adam and Eve. Right, exactly. Right. In the end, we are made in the image and likeness of God. So if you don't assert your proper place, which is, which is the recipient of that grace of being made, then everything else gets disordered, in effect. In, in a way, have you, do you cook? Not very well. <laughs> okay. Do you bake? Uh, no, even I don't. less. No, okay. yeah, but but rule of bakes even. and and I, I watch okay. and I eat. <laughs> so, well, my mother used to bake cookies at Christmas time in the old Cajunese recipe. Right, she would use food coloring, and it's amazing how a single drop could color the entire dough that she was making. Right, but in a sense, like in the deadly sins. Right, and deadly because they are mortal. Deadly because they lead to a break in your relationship with God. All right, so we let's call them the capital sins or the principal sins. Um, they color everything else, so they are really important to look at. And we can start. So, what are the seven? Right, pride, greed. I'm going to say wrath or anger, envy, lust, gluttony. This is where I have an examination of conscience, gluttony, and sloth, or laziness. Those seven. Some are sins of desire. So you talk about lust. You talk about gluttony. You talk about greed. Those kind of like are the desires for other things, other possessions, all the rest. Then there is the sin of omission, which is which of the seven? Omission. Um, sloth. Exactly. Laziness. I call it laziness. Yeah. And then there are the sins that affect the spirit. So it, anger, they call it the, the wrath, but anger is neutral in emotion. We'll talk about that. But when you direct it in a way that's inordinate, then it becomes sin, which is right. And then, of course, we talked about pride as the foundation. Okay, mm -hmm. now, one of the things, when you, when you and I had spoken about doing this as a topic, I was intrigued because our goal 
as men of faith, sharing out your thoughts and mine with the people who listen, women and men of faith, is to build up the human spirit, right? Not to kind of, you know, just say, all right, avoid this. Because God in his gracious love and his grace gives us the virtues and gives us the graces to successfully avoid them. So when we go through this list, we have to remember that for every deadly sin, very capital sin, there's a capital virtue. That is exactly what the Lord is offering to us to make sure that this does not become a problem. So in the end, if you want to say in a clear conscience that these capital sins, I'm alert to them, I'm fighting against them in my life, and I don't want them to be part of my relationship with God and my neighbor, then chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, kindness, patience, and humility are the antidotes. So let's stop there along the way with each one. Okay? So let's start with lust, right? Because that seems to be at the forefront of, of a lot of the over-sexualized world in which we live. Yes. So Steve, if, if you and I were to ask the average person to define the word lust, what do you think they would say? Uh, I think they would uh, describe it as um, uh, uh, looking at um, others in a in a sexualized way and even acting upon that. Yeah, yeah, I think certainly that would be something that people would say. I think it is natural to be attracted to people, right, um, who you find beautiful. And that attraction in and of itself is not sinful. It's just part of our, right, that's how, that's how people meet each other and fall in love with each other. So we have to understand that most of the time churches mischaracterize what not of what it teaches. That's something natural. That's something beautiful. But when it becomes inordinate, when it becomes, I like the word unbridled, so of course without a without a, a harness, right? It's that can lead to thoughts, words, and actions that. What did you say? Like, uh, make a person an object. Mm -hmm. right? And it can lead to a lot of actions that could break up marriages, that can break up relationships, that can lead to far just terrible things. So it's the desire that is disordered, inordinate, unbridled. That becomes the problem. And of course, we're talking about sexuality. We're talking about the, the beauty of the person, all right, and how you're attracted to it, and then you make it this 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 object for your personal gratification. Right? So that is why pornography falls into this, because you give yourself license to be lustful. Because when you look at other people engaged in sexual activity, you're reducing them to objects. You're reducing them to an object for my sexual pleasure, right? It's it's almost like poster child for lust. There are those in the Christian tradition who say that that unbridled, intense longing in lust can also be more than sexual. 
So, for example, among poets, among authors, even among some theologians, they will speak of the lust for power. They will speak of the lust for money. Now, that's a bit poetic because we will also talk about others like envy and all the rest. But it's everything that has to do with taking a natural desire, warping it, and in, t- in most of the time in terms of sexuality, reducing whoever's out there as my object of pleasure. Okay, so now, that being the case, and we're all familiar with it, right? What's the antidote? What's the cardinal virtue? And that is chastity. Now, chastity is not celibacy because a celibate can be unchaste. Chastity is the requirement for every Christian to live. It is the proper integration of one's sexuality within one's own person. So it is to use the gift of sexuality, particularly its expression, in a way appropriate to your vocation. So a celibate, by definition, is an unmarried person. A priest is a celibate because he's given the grace of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to forego entering into an exclusive relationship of love for a woman so that he can be married, if I can use that, to the whole church, to an entire community, and allow himself that accessibility. We've talked about that, right? But a, but a celibate can be unchaste. And he can be unchaste when he uses his sexuality for personal gratification. Hmm. No different than a married person who can have a sexual expression and should because it's part of the unitive aspect of marriage. I mean, you love your wife, you love your husband. Of course you want to express it in physical terms. That's, that's part of the beauty of marriage. But what happens if you start expressing it with somebody else? <laughs> you got a problem. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? So it's the integration of the sexuality within the person is chastity. And everyone needs to pray for it. Everyone needs to work on it. Because if you don't, you naturally will fall. Eventually will fall into this. Make sense? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. This, Steve, is where our young people have tremendous challenges in the modern world. Because they are forced to grow up very fast. They are forced to look at issues that they're not mature enough to deal with. Mm -hmm. They're at the hands of people who profit from lust. They have become victimized by pornography, which is so accessible. And they live in a world where they're told subliminally, unconsciously, and God forbid, consciously, that they are not worth and not lovable and not beautiful in themselves. And therefore, they, they desire to be accepted. So the integration of their sexuality in the self-worth they should have is not many times is not time to have it happen before they fall into behaviors that are very disturbing. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the first. Yeah. And St. Jacinta said that uh, the sins that cause the most souls to go to he- hell are the mm-hmm. sins of the flesh. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. 
So what's the second one? Gluttony. Now, this is where, ladies and gentlemen, we have an examination of conscience for me because <laughs> it's, I love to eat. I've always loved to eat. <laughs> and again, it, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you eat simply for the pleasure of it, in an unbridled way, you fall into problems. And I mean, from just from a natural point of view, if you overeat, overindulge, not only is there a spiritual consequence, but there's a physical consequence. And when yeah. you're 21, you can live with it. When you're 64, then you're pushing your luck, right? right. So the definition of gluttony is overindulgence, overconsumption of anything to the point of waste, right? Most especially food. You know, it's, it's funny. St. Thomas, Thomas said that this is like gluttony has different aspects depending on where you happen to be in any given moment when you overindulge, because you could overindulge for different reasons. Okay, so for example, you could overindulge by always eating the most exquisite, expensive uh, food there's there that's out there, and you're wasting money inordinately because it is this idea of the the refined, delicate person eats only this. Or he said people who uh, eat, he uses the word daintily, kind of, a little this, a little that, a little other. You may say, well, that's not overeating. That's true. But what happens to the food that you don't eat on this plate and don't eat on this plate and don't eat on this plate? Many times in America, it goes in the garbage. Right. Yeah, right. Then, right, then there's my problem eating too much. And then he goes into these other ideas about eating too soon, eating too eagerly. And I, and I think I understand what St. Thomas is talking about, that when, when you eat too eagerly, you forget that you're not eating solely for the pleasure of the food. You're, you're eating to survive. You're eating to remain healthy. And if that's really the goal, then this eagerness, this it has to be tamed because when you've eaten enough to be healthy, you have to stop. But if I like the chocolate cake, I'm going to keep eating and keep mm -hmm. eating and keep eating. That's his point. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what's the antidote for gluttony? What's the cardinal virtue for gluttony? Uh, seems like it should be something like temperance. Amen. And we've talked about temperance. Yes. Another, another virtue that's very uh, in short supply in the modern world. Yeah. But this is St. Thomas's paraphrasing. St. Thomas says, temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasure and provides balance in the use of creative good. Hmm. So I like Southern Comfort Manhattan's. Okay. If I sat down and drank enough of them so that I was satiated, I couldn't get out of my chair. Right. Yeah. But temperance would moderate that desire, that attraction to that pleasure. To say, to have one and have it in company and have it in a social setting, that, that can actually be a wonderful thing. Right. So temperance, and, and again, <laughs> temperance is learned. 
Temperance is like a discipline. That's like when you learn to do 25 push-ups. You start with one and you work your way to two and you finally get to 25. Yeah. You have to learn. And unfortunately, if we're not teaching our young children temperance, then when they become older, it's harder and harder to teach them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Pieper uh, wrote about temperance. He said that temperance is beautiful in and of itself, but it also makes men beautiful, people beautiful, because he mm -hmm. called intemperance, he said it was infantile and that it makes men cowardly and unable to work against the uh, wounding power of evil in the world. It, it takes away freedom in the end without temperance. Yes, yes. Right? Because you, you instinctively keep doing what you're doing and not even realizing that there's a choice that can be made to say no. Yeah. So it's like a Wolverine. You put enough food for the Wolverine, he will eat till he passes out. Hmm. <laughs> right? But we're not Wolverines. We're, <laughs> right. we're made the image of God. All right, enough of that. <laughs> Number three, okay. let's do one more before we break. Yes. All right? The big G, I call it. The big G. It's not gluttony. It's greed. Greed. Also known as, is that also known as avarice? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's the artificial, inordinate, disordered, if I can use that word, desire for the pursuit of material possessions. Uh, you've heard me say this thing. My definition of greed is when your possessions possess you. You're, yes. you. You have crossed the line. Right? But if you look at the literature, courting is a manifestation of greed. Theft is a manifestation of greed. Robbery is a manifestation of greed. Acts of violence or trickery or manipulation of authority is greed. Cheating on your income tax is greed. In the church, simony is greed. When you sell an office, which please God doesn't happen anymore, but it used to, is all greed. When you look at it, you say, oh, greed. But when you give it flesh, you say, oh my. Yeah, I've seen that right. in my yeah. life. All right, so what's the antidote to greed? Uh, generosity. Interesting. That's what I thought until I did my little homework. And actually, the antidote to greed is charity. Huh, okay. Remember, charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things, for his own sake, and we love our neighbor as ourself for God's sake. That's charity. So in the end, it's interesting. Charity puts all our possessions in proper perspective. So if I love you, Steve, as a brother and a neighbor for the love of God, and I have more than I need for material, material possessions, and you don't, how real is that love? If I know this, right now, could you imagine if we if if we actually lived like that as a society? We would not need government to do it. We would not need anybody. We would naturally do it in the love that we would have for neighbor upon neighbor. And it's not to say that therefore this is socialism or communism. No, no, not, not at all. It's to the basic needs of my neighbor, because you are also entitled to the fruits of your hard work. Yes. So if you work very hard and you make a very good living and God blesses you with your possessions, all right, those are blessings. The obligation is not to give it all away, 
the obligation is to make sure that those whom you love are effectively loved, that their basic needs are met. Yes. And absent that, right, one has to ask, why am I not sharing my possessions? And you get back to this issue in some form. Interesting, no? How it's yeah. all into, interweaved. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of how the early church worked, right? In the apostolic age was uh, they shared their things. And and again, the difference between that and socialism was there uh, in the early church, it was what's mine is yours. And socialism is what's yours is mine. <laughs> well, actually, the basis is different. Socialism and communism, the basis is supposed, supposedly justice. For Christians, the basis is love, uh, not justice. Yes. And justice is a manifestation. It's the consequence of love. But I give you what you need because I love you mm. and want the best for you. I don't need government to tell me to do that. That's yeah. Okay. Um, do we have time for more or break? Uh, let's take a break and we can spend okay. more time in the second segment because it's an, it's an yeah, obvious break absolutely. time. Okay. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, We're talking about the seven deadly sins, and uh, we'll continue on the other side of the break. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. So we've gone through uh, lust and gluttony and greed, Excellency. <laughs> if anybody just came on halfway, they said, what do we miss? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe more importantly, we've gone through we've gone through chastity, temperance, and charity, yeah, the absolutely. virtues that counteract those deadly So sins. now, let's go to the fourth one, yes. which is not a sin of desire. It's a sin of omission. Sloth. Forget sloth. That's the technical term. Laziness. Let's call it just laziness. Okay. Okay. The sin of omission, right? You could be lazy. You could be slothful mentally, physically. Or spiritually, all three ways. Okay, mentally, 
by not applying yourself to the truths and learning the truths, you create a habitual disinclination to apply yourself to learning. Hmm. Physically, you could do the same thing. And there's a difference between I'm going to the gym seven days a week, which is wonderful, but from a habitual disinclination to be physically active in what I'm going to call an ordinary normal sense. Because that has profound implications on the gift of the physical health that God has given you, hmm. this temple of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, spiritual is really, you could define it many different ways. The way I define it is you're indifferent to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? You're disinclined to use them. Confirmation, we've got seven gifts. But when did you last time ask the, the, the Lord for the grace to be courageous in a particular circumstance or to be wise in a particular time of decision? Those gifts are just in, they're, they're there. Hmm. But if you don't use them, right? Yeah. Now, listen, let's be honest. There are all days you get up, I get up, we all get up and say, oh, mother of the Lord, please, not, not today. Please, <laughs> make this painless today. <laughs> and there's a, a, a sluggishness. But again, that's normal. But sloth is the habitual Hmm. disposition to do this right and and when it becomes a habit it becomes very difficult to break hmm. very difficult so then what's the antidote to sloth laziness I, I don't know the one word uh answer but i would say just getting up and going <laughs> diligence <laughs> very good yes diligence right and how do you define diligence I mean, there's a lot of ways. I would simply say it is the careful, persistent, careful, persistent effort, careful, persistent work. It's the choice to do that. So you just don't do stuff to do stuff, but you do it for a particular aim and you persist at doing it. That overcomes laziness. Yeah. Making okay. good habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then it's the fifth. Are we up to five? Yes, this is number five. Yes. This is when the father of evil takes something neutral in us and twists it. And that is wrath, or I'm going to call anger. We've spoken about this many times. Anger is an emotion that you do not have control over mm -hmm. when it first arises in your heart. Jesus was angry, overturned the temple tables. We are angry. We could do something positive or something negative. This is the sin where we take our anger and direct it to, to use the Star Wars, to the dark side, to the evil. Okay. So that is when you have anger, rage, anger, rage, which is unbridled anger, and what does unbridled anger lead to? Hatred. Mm. Hatred. Revenge. Vengefulness. And it's a very dangerous place to be. Right? How does one take anger and avoid the sin of wrath? Of wrath? How does one do that? Any ideas? 
How does one take anger and avoid the sin of wrath? Um, uh, I, I don't know, Excellency. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is a very complicated question. But I think the antidote may be the answer. And the antidote to wrath, to anger, when it is unbridled. The antidote is patience. Hmm. Patience. Remember what wrath looks like. So you're talking about people who are hateful, revengeful, who are like misanthropic. They don't like people. They never give a person uh, the benefit of the doubt. You know those sort of people you meet and it's like nothing is ever right. The world is just a wreck. And... And there are people who are very self-destructive. Those people who are self-destructive are manifesting this sin. This sin. Which is anger. The anger is turned in on themselves. Hmm. And it becomes, instead of destructive, so I'm going to destroy someone's reputation, or I'm going to physically harm someone, because so much is my anger against them that it's welded to the sense of hatred. But you can hate yourself, too. Hmm. And that's a manifestation. So, patience. Okay. What's patience? This is my definition. And this is kind of like summarizing a bit of what St. Thomas says, too. Patience is the virtue that makes us, makes us accept, accept, for the love of God, notice the motive, for the love of God, generously and peacefully, all that is displeasing in my life hmm. without becoming saddened by it. So look at Job. Okay. We've met people in our lives who have suffered dramatically, and yet there's a piece of their, there's a peacefulness to their life. There isn't a tremendous bitterness, right? There isn't even a sense of anger, but there is this acceptance that's rooted ultimately in faith that trusts God that, yeah, you will take care of it. Yeah, on the human level, that could not happen unless you were patient to wait for God to respond however God wishes to respond. So I guess drive the merit. Where do you see patience? <laughs> I get on here, right in Bridgeport, exit 47. It, it, it's, they will, uh, it's, it's remarkable I haven't killed myself up to this point because no one will even give you the opportunity to get on the road. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even, even as a dad or in a workplace, I mean, I, I probably get angry pretty much every day. <laughs> as a dad mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i'm a little ashamed to say but uh you know i i do um but but thankfully you know your explanation is that that's that's different just feeling angry is different from wrath thank you god uh, two quotations from the catechism uh, it says if anger reaches the point of a deliberate desire to kill or wound a neighbor, it is 
gravely it is it is gravely positioned against charity therefore it is a mortal sin yeah whether you act on it or not is not the point is whether you desire to do this okay that you desire that someone else suffer misfortune or evil or desire that they have some grave harm made against them is itself gravely sinful anger unbridled so patience so again patience is learned it doesn't come as a gift from god and say congratulations now you are a patient person you have to learn it and just like again in the gym you have to learn i have to learn we all have to learn how to be patient in the small things of life at the red light letting my neighbor come on to the merit uh patience to really honestly let someone else finish their sentence before we open our mouths to speak okay online at the supermarket where you're thinking to yourself why is this woman have all this all this man have all this stuff in front of me they could have gone <laughs> to another line i got to get out of here get out of my way <laughs> okay. till you get to the big ones where you have someone gravely ill right and the natural the love that you have for the person can easily fire your anger to go against God, against the nurse, against the doctor, against the world, against. But if you don't do the little things, how are you going to do the big things? Yes. Yep. Right. And yes. I'll tell you, if I, if I might just say this, and I'm certainly, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I see among young people less and less patience. Mm -hmm. And that's a consequence of the age where they're overstimulated, over-informed, overextended. It's very hard to say, okay, you go first. Yeah. What are yeah. you going to say? Well, just based on what you just said, um, there's a, a rising trend among people mm -hmm. to when, for example, two people will be having a conversation in a room and a third will just walk in and just start talking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. like, excuse me, we're, well, we're in the middle. Of yeah. Right. Who, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, but uh, uh, there's a movie, Excellency, called Evan Almighty, where um, a New York congressman turns into a modern day Noah. Oh, I saw that movie. <laughs> it's actually yes. pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. But there was a scene that just really always sticks with me where mm -hmm. uh, the Noah, the modern day Noah's family is in a diner. The, mo the wife is taking the three kids and leaving because she just doesn't know what to do, what to make of her husband right now. And God appears as a waiter there. And he says, are you okay? And she says, no. And he said, um, he said, listen, when you ask God for patience, do you think he just zaps you with patience or does he give you the opportunity to be patient, to work on that patience. Amen. So, anyway. Amen. <laughs> the school of spiritual training. And it seems as if we have lost much of that perspective. That in order to get to full, to get to the fullness of holiness, which happens in eternal life, the entire journey of life is a training of the spirit that mirrors those of us who have ever had the experience of having the trainer 
or training yourself for the body. Mm-hmm. There's a gradual, systematic, deliberate path where you can grow in these antidotes to the seven. And if you and I worked on all seven, then we would not, we could go to bed at night saying, yes, Lord, I am sinful. Yes, I am not perfect. Yes, but the, the great sins, I have my defenses against them. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we have so, two more left. Yes. Right? What's the sixth? Envy. Ooh. Envy. And envy. Okay. How do you define envy? The way I kind of look at it is if you look at the Ten Commandments, the commandment that says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband and you shall not cover your neighbor's goods, is really talking about envy. It's to cover, it's to desire, okay? To desire the traits of an individual, to desire the individual, or to desire the possessions that that person has, or their state line, right? It's to desire it, right? So again, it's a desire that is is twisted. See, when I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, when St. Augustine says that famous line, our hearts are restless until they rest with thee. The, so there's a basic desire for God, and we always get in trouble when we sin, particularly gravely, because we desire something else or someone else. It's as simple as that. That's why pride is the top of the list, which is coming to in a, in a couple of years. Right? So um, you desire it, and you want it. which can lead to a whole slew of things, right, in manifestation. St. Thomas says envy has three basic stages. The first stage is, you right, the envious person attempts, when, when you can't, when you cannot, you want it, but you can't have it. So what's your response? Well, the first thing you do is try to malign the individual. But that person's not as good as I thought. That person's not as beautiful as I thought, or as accomplished, or as professional, or as rich, or as that. So you lower their reputation, right? Then the next stage is you get joy when that person falls into misfortune, right? You take pleasure at it. If you're, particularly if your efforts to defame them, gossip, 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 don't work, well, they fell into a ditch. Yeah, good, they deserve it. Why do they deserve it? Because they're more handsome than you? I don't understand. Why do they serve? Because they have more things than you? Or because they're kinder than you? Right? And then we get back to the same thing. That if you have that brood in us, it leads to hatred. Hmm. Right? Once again, remember Cain and Abel? Yes. What caused, the diff- what caused um, Cain to kill Abel? He was jealous about how God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Envy, right? Envy. Okay. And then the last is the one we can speak of the least. Oh, but Excellency, what's the, uh, what's the mm-hmm. opposing virtue for envy? I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> Kindness. Hmm. Kindness. Because kindness, my friend, in the in Christian life is not just sympathy, but it's sympathy of another based in love. 
particularly for those in need. You are kind to another person because it is manifesting our love for them and ultimately our love for God. I'm glad you mentioned that before we go to pride. <laughs> Therefore, if if you struggle with envy, if, if, if there's a person you're envious of because his or her accomplishments or possessions or good looks, which is really a big problem in the United States, big problem in the secular world, hmm. the antidote is to be kind to them. Hmm. Ob- objectively, deliberately be kind to them and not kind to them in an inauthentic way. Be kind to them by saying, I am loving you, Lord, by showing this love, sympathy, this ultimate kindness to this person here, even though I am struggling with this desire in me to have what they have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of that could be uh, praying for them sincerely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Yep. Okay. Okay. And then the last, the big one, the big, big one, one is, is pride. Amen. Uh huh. Yeah. And how do you define pride? Um, I would say this is a, uh, a putting yourself above, uh, everybody else, including God. It's totally a self-centered sin. Yes. How about this? A perverted self-love that leads to contempt of your neighbor. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Perverted self-love. Perverted, disordered, inordinate. I don't care what word you use. We We have infinite dignity before God. So to love ourselves properly is actually a gospel mandate. Otherwise, you are dishonoring and showing ingratitude to the God who made you the woman. But a perverted one forgets who made you, forgets where your gifts and talents are, forgets the cause of why you are prideful in the first place. So if you forget it for yourself, why in good graciousness would you remember it for your neighbor. And therefore, you have contempt. And contempt means that everybody could not possibly be my equal, when in fact, they are. Hmm. (laughs) And this, as you said, is the root of all, of of everything else we have spoken about. And of course, the antidote to pride is humility. But we've spoken much about humility, so I need not go into it now. Remember the Tower of Babel? Yes. And what was the sin there? It was also pride. They wanted to reach up to God. Yep. Correct. So it runs through all of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, here we are. Seven capital sins, seven capital virtues. If you and I and everyone listening on this podcast could, in the gym, the spiritual gym we have to go into, the gymnasium of the spirit, work towards a plan of training Mm -hmm. 
that emphasizes chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, kindness, patience, and humility, then the stronger we become, the less possibility we would fall into these capital deadly sins. Simple as that. Yeah. The, and, and the thing I keep hearing from you today, Excellency, is it takes practice, 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 practice. So like I coach uh, a high school soccer team and I always, yeah. tell, I always tell my boys, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. And so you don't win a championship without training. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't get straight A's without studying mm -hmm. and uh, you can't get mm -hmm. to heaven, I guess, without uh, practicing the virtues. Yeah, because grace builds on nature. We train our nature. We mold our nature to be able to receive the, the power of grace and the power of grace then helps us. It's like a, a circle that keeps going around and around. Grace allows us the opportunity and the possibility right, to be able to mold nature. Very few people I've ever met, and myself included at times, sees the spirit in an analogous way as we do the body in the need to train it. Hmm. So I, I remember when I was going to the gym, I used to have charts and I'd measure my progress every week, measure my weight, what I ate. Those were those days are long gone, ladies and gentlemen, long gone. <laughs> but I'm not ashamed to say I never had a chart on my refrigerator that trained my spirit that had these seven categories and said, well, what am I doing with patience and how am I progressing in patience or in kindness or in human, right? But yes. it would make sense to do that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, I don't know. What are uh, three steps that we could start taking today mm -hmm. uh, to help us get in this uh, training regimen of yeah. practicing? Yeah. First is an examination of conscience and place all the seven capital sins in front of you. And do an honest assessment and say, of the seven, my greatest challenge is number three, number five, number mm -hmm. seven. And then also say, the one I have the least problem with is number one, number two, number six. Because my suggestion is to train in both the worst and the best. Hmm. Because we need to be encouraged in what we do. And if you always emphasize the highest mountain to climb, right, you will not make it unless you've practiced on the smallest mountain you need to climb. Yes. Do both. And leave the other seven for the mercy of God until you make, pro you, you make progress. And then you will add more columns until you have an active program of spiritual discipline and growth in all seven. Mm -hmm. And... Um... Uh, how about as far as um, incorporating prayer as a routine, what's a good way to start on that? Now, that's, that's a given. Prayer in spiritual gymnasium is like food in the physical gymnasium. If you stop eating, then you cannot trim. And if you did, you would see no progress. Hmm. Right? Yes. But in the same is for prayer. 
because ultimately the progress you make in the gymnasium of the spirit is due to God's grace that you allow into your life that helps you to marry with your own will to see this progress. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And always be aware, always be aware, always be aware of the insidious influence of pride. Because when you begin to see progress, always remind yourself it is God who has accomplished all this in me. Otherwise, you can inadvertently begin to be prideful. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, oh gosh, that's, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's like a, that's a real danger. Yeah. Danger. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we have some steps and so, and a, and a course of action that we can take. Um, this is fantastic. Let's, uh, let's take our, our, our second break then excellency. And, uh, we can come back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, so, Excellency, here is the question that came in uh, for this week. It says, Bishop Frank, when tragedies occur like a hurricane or a school shooting or a child dies from cancer, is this God's will? Can you actually say that God wanted something horrible to happen, even if it's for some other good? It's a very profound question, and I think we need to do a podcast on this question. It's quite complex. But I would say this. There are two distinctions you have to make in this question. There are what I'm going to say, natural evils and spiritual evils. They are not the same. And when you speak of God, there is his active will and his permissive will, and they are not the same. So there are natural evils hurricanes, earthquakes that occur by no fault of a human person. But they're part of the unfinished nature of creation since the fall. And because we believe the ultimate good is eternal life, we pray that they will not happen. But when they do happen, we understand that those who are victimized by those occurrences, if they're in the state of grace, our Father, who, back, who holds them in his hands at baptism, will take them to glory. So God permits that, doesn't will that actively. And he permits it because it is the nature of creation that fell, which was not God's design in the first place. Then there is evil that is spiritual. So a shooter shoots, like what happened in Thailand, which is indescribable. Two years. It's indescribable. It's madness. It's blind evil. Once again, does God will that? Absolutely not. But he permits it for the greater possibility that there is love in our midst. That when we offer back to him what we do, that is freely offered back to him. Otherwise, we would be puppets. 
Otherwise, we could not be made in the image and likeness of God. But my question is, it's not God's fault that this person is like this. How did this person get to this, to this point? That's the examination of conscience we need individually, as a community, as a society. Why is more and more of this happening? Is that coincidence? Or are we showing the effects of a society that does not value human life? Born and unborn. And in the end, that's not God's fault. That's ours. And particularly the one who act acts on. So look, that's the beginning of an answer. Maybe one day we could break this open in a podcast because it would be really helpful. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. Um, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And our sponsor for this show is Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks for today. Yeah, thank you. And, thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, would you please give us your blessing? Yes, before I do that, can I make it a commercial? Yes, thank please. Um, for those who are listening to this podcast who live in the Diocese of Bridgeport and know young adults who are looking for an opportunity to go to Mass and have an opportunity to socialize, we have an event on October 22nd at St. Francis of Assisi Parish in Weston. I'm celebrating Mass. I will be there. I would love to meet them and just get the word out. Go on our Diocesan website, register, and I hope to see them there. Yes. So October 22nd at St. Francis of Assisi Church, the registration or the information is on the diocesan website. You will be there, Excellency. If yes. I remember, it's an Oktoberfest too, so that should be it's fun. It's Oktoberfest, 5 o'clock mass, 6 o'clock gathering, festivities, party. So yeah, yes. I'd love to see as many people as possible. Okay, All, right. all young adults who can hear us should yes. show up there. Okay, And I am not a young adult, so I <laughs> want to see young adults. Okay. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Together we pray, glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Take care, my friend. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. Thank you.